This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is on vacation enjoying this beautiful sunny day in Toronto. She will return on Monday when it's hoped she will interview the brand new leader of the federal conservative party. Until then, we are talking about school. It is all the talk, no matter what age you are. And it now appears there is a little more breathing room before children physically go back to class. The education minister is allowing school boards across the province to have until Tuesday, September 22nd to open schools if they need more time to protect students against COVID-19. The biggest issue seems to be around class sizes in elementary schools and that the provincial plan likely does not allow for proper physical distancing. So that's what school board staff is trying to improve here in Toronto. They've come up with three different options all of which include using reserve funds to bring in more teachers to create more space in the classrooms. All the while, a new TDSB survey suggests even with smaller class sizes, 25% of parents say they won't be sending their children to school. What about you? Are you a parent or a grandparent? And what are your plans for your children? What are your children doing with their children if you're a grandparent? 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. I want to start the show with an email we received from a fightback listener named Julia earlier this month. I think it sums up what a lot of older teachers are feeling. Julia writes, I agree that grandparents should take extra precautions when their grandchildren go back to school, but not everyone has that luxury. I want to make my voice heard for all those people who are of that grandparents' age group, as well as those working very closely with children. I'm talking about all the teachers, principals, vice principals, teaching assistants, lunchroom supervisors, school bus drivers, caretakers, etc. Julia writes, I'm a TDSB teacher who's been teaching for 30 years, and I have another five years to go until retirement. I teach grade one, and although I have always loved my job, I'm feeling a little anxious about going back to a room full of five- and six-year-olds while COVID is still with us. I'm sure, she says, many of my colleagues in my age bracket, as well as those who have health issues, are feeling this way. We realize the kids need to get back to school, but that being said, if we go back too soon, we might have a number of people in the educational field who are at risk of catching and spreading COVID-19. She calls it a wicked problem. Julia, thank you for your email. Maybe this resonates with you if you are of an older generation, if you work in the school system, if you are a parent, an older parent, or an older grandparent, or you have grandparents living in your home. 
I want to hear from you today, your thoughts about where we're at and where we're going. 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-744-740. Joining us first to talk about school from a grandparent's point of view, parenting and grandparenting expert and award-winning author of six books, Kathy Buckworth. Hi, Kathy. Welcome. Thanks, Jane. Now, you're a young grandmother. And yeah, I, I am. I'm, I'm, and I have a young, I'll just uh, yeah, qualify, I have a young grandson. He's yes. only nine months. Yeah. <laughs> and I know you're healthy and active, but does the message in that email resonate with you at all? Absolutely. It resonates with me a lot. First off, I do have a, I'm 57. I have a sister who is 59 and she is a teacher in the elementary school system. So she has um, similar health concerns as, as the email that your um, your viewer uh, listener wrote in. So there's absolutely a lot of concerns in the grandparent community or older parents, as you mentioned. Um, you know, and and sadly, some grandparents who have been inside a household bubble uh, for the last little while may find themselves removed from that household bubble. So lots of things to consider, and lots of you know, lots of hurt and heartbreak coming up. I think, but. Um, you know, there are things that we can do, hopefully, to mitigate some of the risks, and hopefully there are things that we can do to, as grandparents, continue to help our kids through this tough time as well. Well, why don't you take us down that path, then? Let's talk about how grandparents can help out during this challenging time. That's if they have the luxury to be able to do so. Yeah, exactly. And I guess there's two groups of grandparents is what I would suggest. There's those that are in the bubble and will stay in the bubble. And there's those that are outside of the bubble, either they physically live far or they just, you know, have to socially distance for safety concerns. So I think if you're inside the bubble, there are still, pardon me, outside the bubble, there are still things that we can do to help our kids. And those might include things like, you know, setting up regular sessions with the grandkids via, you know, online Skype, Zoom, et cetera, trying to stay in touch. And while we might have been doing that, you know, in a more social perspective through the summer, maybe trying to get involved with the kids' uh, school curriculum. And you can find that easily online for the grades, um, getting to know what they're doing, setting up a regular time, maybe, you know, grandma's four o'clock on a Tuesday. If you have a retired teacher in your family that's a grandparent, how great would that be to be able mm-hmm. to tutor a child? Also, if you've got older kids that are, you know, tweens and teens, Maybe find out what they're reading for English class and you might get to read a great Canadian novel as well and really talk to them, you know, in depth about some of their schoolwork and hopefully that will help. But parents, when it comes to homework time, we can all still drop off, you know, homemade casseroles, socially distance in backyards, do puzzles, games from a socially safe distance to keep that educational piece learning outside of the classroom because if they're spending all of their time inside or doing a lot of online learning, they're going to need that extracurricular interaction as well, whether it's from six feet apart or or over, you know, the internet line. You've been living with many of your family members in your bubble. So what about this scenario when children go off to school out of the bubble and then are potentially not able to social distance in the classroom and then are coming home and possibly asymptomatic bringing the COVID-19 virus with them? I think that's when we have to decide, uh, you know, each family has to decide what is um, acceptable to them in terms of, you know, underlying health conditions, in terms of safety, in terms of do the grandparents live in the home? Can you be separate? How long do you have to be separate? Is it sustainable? Um, and making those kinds of decisions. And I know that those um, factors will also drive some parents' decisions as to whether they send their children into the classroom if they do live um, you know, with their own parents or the grandparents are inside the home. So, um, you know, all of those things have to be considered. If the kids are online learning and the grandparents are inside the bubble, there are still things 
I think, you know, besides just being there to help, um, extra things that grandparents could do. I really would like the idea of grandparents taking their kids out to field trips because those will not exist in the school system in September or maybe for a while. And a lot of the places kids would go to are actually open safely, museums, et cetera. Um, and you can even do that if you're not able to take them yourself personally. Maybe you can, you know, fund the family to do that, treat them to that sort of thing, or do the research for the parents in terms of where can the parents take them to get that extracurricular sort of education. There's so many different factors, and I know so many different grandparents and parents are wading through the decisions they have to make. So I'm glad to hear hopefully we get a, a you know, a two-week extension in terms of how we're going to wade through that part before the kids potentially hit the classroom. So that is welcome news for you uh, to hear that there is another two weeks to consider uh, more safety precautions around the reopenings. I I do think that's a a great move, actually. I will qualify that by saying my grandson is too young to be at school. He's nine months. And my children, my youngest just finished grade 12 in June. So I find myself in the the position of not having to make that decision, but certainly hear from a lot of uh, moms, friends, parents, grandparents about the tough decisions that they're making. So I think if we can slow the time down a bit, that makes all kinds of rational sense. Kathy, what you're saying is resonating with our listeners. I do want to go to the phones, but I just want to ask you for your older children. You have one who's graduated from grade 12. What does university or college life look like at your house? Right. So I've got, he's going uh, into McMaster. He will be online because their residences are closed and all of his business school courses are online. And I have a fourth year daughter actually also at McMaster um, she has been living out in Hamilton. She will be doing that online from here, except for, I think, one or two labs she has to go into for multimedia. Um, so, yeah, I thought I was going to be an empty nester game in <laughs> September. <laughs> and I'll have two kids online learning at home. But uh, we've got, you know, and that's another thing to consider with the online learning, too, is how do you set them up at home? That's a whole other discussion. But we're going we need to upgrade Wi-Fi, et cetera, because a lot of stuff going on just to make sure that they can, um, you know, adequately attend university as well. Right. So bedrooms and extra rooms are becoming mini offices for all of yeah, those who are absolutely. studying online. Yeah, that's Let, right. Let's go to Tony in Keswick. Hi, Tony. You're on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. Go ahead. Uh, good day. Good day. McMaster is a good place to go. I spent some time with the Ticats out there, and uh, <laughs> Mac nice. was a great school, so your kid's going to be lucky going there. But uh, yeah. my nephew's a teacher, and his wife's a teacher, and... Uh, they don't feel like they've got all their eggs in one basket, the school board, when they say this about going back. Is, uh, how do you relate to the kids who aren't going to go straight home after school and end up going hanging out uh, with people? And then, you know, and, and my nephew's wife is pregnant. they got a two-and-a-half-year-old kid, plus she's pregnant, uh, seven months pregnant. And uh, that's what he's worried about is, is sure, they're going to cover everything at school, but uh, how about they should be responsible for when these kids leave to go to school? There's nothing telling these kids, well, go right home now or anything. How do you control them from hanging out with their buddies and maybe catching something? Uh, You know, it's still not a bulletproof or even close to it. And they're asking these people to go out there and put their lives on the line. I don't know. Yeah, Tony, that's a great point. And um, when we get the TDSB chair on, Alexander Brown is joining us in a few minutes as well. I will ask him about what plans are for after-school care. Kathy, and, can and- Kathy, can you add anything, uh, any guidance uh, for that question? Um, it's such a tough thing to talk about, but I think the best thing we can do for our, our kids right now is really to prepare them for that. So if they have been going to after school programs or regularly, you know, hanging out with buddies and things after school, we have to prepare them for the eventuality of coming, you know, straight home as, um, you know, as 
the world dictates right now, you know, and maybe finding out things we can do on a schedule when they get home again, maybe scheduling those visits with grandparents or scheduling time for them, you know, to interact online with their own friends, et cetera, get on the phone because um, it is going to be a change for them for sure, especially older kids, tweens and teens who are used to having that freedom after school. That's going to be that super realistic, tough. though, you think? Like, these are kids now. Like, we, you know, it, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, exactly. You know, you see them partying. You see university kids partying in the beaches, out, you know, in Florida and whatnot, not really caring that much. But, you know, we'll just think in their in their heads that, listen, you know, you, you could kill somebody or, or, mm-hmm. or something like that if you, if you catch a disease and, and give it to somebody, you know, like older and whatnot. And uh, so, you know, it, it's just, there's more questions and answers right now about Absolutely, this. Absolutely, yes. Back to school. Yeah, so. Tony, thank you. Thanks for calling in. Let's go to Leslie in Oshawa. Leslie, go ahead. Hi, good morning. How are you? Fine, thanks. Good. What's on your mind? I um, am a lunch supervisor in a elementary school, and um, I was shocked. The first time I went in to do all this, I was shocked to see that these kids do not sit at the separate desk. They are, they're in groups around tables. I have been told by a friend who is custodian in Peterborough that they are going to go back to the single desk and lines the way I was brought up with. All activities that are not to do with learning are being removed from the classes. These kids are going to be in for a shock of their lives. Um, it will be a completely different way of being at school, yes. And I agree with all this change because as as I was going in for lunch supervision, teachers have no control, absolutely no control over their classrooms. And these um, kids sitting in the groups at these group tables, they're chatting away, uh, they're playing with stuff, they're not listening to the teacher the way that you and I had to listen to our teachers. Oh, yeah, sorry, I let you go there, Leslie. But uh, Kathy, she brings up a great point that the the culture of school is going to be, regardless of what options they end up going with, the culture of school will feel extremely different from when they were last in the class before March break. Yes, and teachers have a lot to work through. I mean, we were putting a lot on the teachers. So as parents, I mean, the thing that we can do is really support those changes. And when our kids come home, you know, complaining about, I don't get to sit next to my buddy. There's no, you know, I can't do this at recess or whatever. We, ha- we have to be supportive of that. We have to listen to them, first of all, acknowledge the fact that, yes, things have changed, and then reinforce the reason that they're doing it. So they're getting the same message from their teacher as they are from us, you know, not saying things like, oh, it's dumb, they're overreacting, things like that. We have to be on the side of the teachers and ourselves and say, this is why this is happening. You know, we, we are putting different measures at home. Everyone's home lives have changed, too, in terms of how we free friends, see friends, et cetera. So, you know, that's the key for me is we're putting a lot on our teachers that we have to support the changes in the classroom and the way that they govern their classrooms. Kathy, thanks so much for joining us today. I appreciate your input, and I love your Twitter feed.
<laughs> Thanks, Jane. Nice <laughs> chat. Kathy Buckworth is an award-winning author of six books. She's also a parenting and now grandparenting spokesperson. Uh, next, d- joining us, and keep the calls coming uh, about your thoughts on the new school year, getting that two-week reprieve, what the priorities should be uh, for classrooms, for children, especially the younger ones. 416-360-0740, toll-free, one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. Eloise Tan is on the line with us. She is the research program director at People for Education. Thanks for making time for us, Eloise. No problem. Happy to be here. What are your thoughts on having a little more time to make smaller classrooms a priority by using reserve funds to bring in more teachers? I think having the staggered start was definitely necessary. And yeah, it would have been great if boards had known about this a little bit earlier, but they will work with what they have. Um, it's not just great for the boards for their planning, but I think as parents, I'm a, I'm a parent of two, uh, for parents and kids, the staggered school, school start is definitely helpful for us. And tell us about um, your children, what grades they're in and whether they're going to go back. So I have two kids, five and three, and my five-year-old will be going into senior kindergarten in September. And my husband and I, we decided that we won't be sending him back um, to in-class learning in September. And, you know, we had to, every parent wants the best for their kids and every parent has to think about their own situation, what they're able to do and what the risk factors are for them. Um, And for us, you know, we have, my mother is in our social bubble. She's over 70, so we have to think about that. We have other, you know, compromised people in our family. Um, I'm also really familiar with my son's school, and there's a 1,000 people in his school. There's 30 people in his classes. Um, I know the, the rooms fairly well, and there's not a lot of good ventilation in them. Um, so I just we just weren't comfortable sending him back into, into that environment. What do you say to those parents of senior kindergarten students who are considering uh, sending them back because they may need to send them back in terms of their own work, not having an older relative to look after the children? Uh, is there some sort of comfort or do you feel like this is being considered uh, with this two-week reprieve and trying to uh, make for smaller class sizes, make for physical distancing? Yeah, I mean, I think we all hope that the two-week reprieve will allow school boards the extra time they need to to get the planning underway for smaller classrooms. I think for other families, you know, I talk to lots of other parents that are um, who have kids in my son's class and, and in his school, and really, it's what we're doing. I'm not saying that this is what every every family should do. Um, you know, if you don't have if you know compromised people in your bubble, if you're not able to stay home with your kids, it, at a certain point, it becomes a question of, is this really a choice? You know, we're presented with the idea of all parents have a choice, but the reality is lots of parents don't have the choice to not send their kids to school. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no child care. They have to be working um, and can't stay at home and work. Or And, and also working from home and, and remote doing remote learning with your kid is not the same thing. You know, you have, even at senior kindergarten, which I was really surprised to know about, um, there's a lot, you have to be there by their side. They don't even know how to navigate the, the computer. So, you know, 
it, it's different from remote learning with a teenager. Um, it's a really big investment from the parent to do remote learning. So there's there's lots of different considerations that every individual family has to take into account. It's Jane for Libby here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. I'm speaking with Eloise Tan, Research Program Director at People for Education and going back to school during the COVID-19 pandemic. I know you want to get in on the conversation as well. 416-360-0740. Toll free 1-866-744-740. Let's go to Barry in North York. Barry, go ahead. Afternoon, Jane. How are you doing? Oh, fine. Thanks. What's on your mind? Well, um, what just want to throw this idea out and see what people think. Um, there's a number of parents that don't want to send their kids back uh, to the uh, classroom because of the size. So if they were to get money to cut it down to 15, here's an idea. Start a GoFundMe or a CrowdFundMe page because there are a lot of parents that are wanting this. And so if people give a little bit before you know it, you've got enough. But I don't know how that would be distributed. Is that a possibility, you think? Well, you know what? Any idea that uh, presents uh, financial resources to the school system could be embraced, maybe in some sort of fundraising way. Eloise, is that could there be some sort of groundswell for fundraising in communities where there might be a little bit more money to help out individual public schools? Well, the, the color brings up a really interesting point, and I think it, it is pointing to this, you know, we're seeing the rise of what people are calling pandemic pods. So, you know, some parents are, are looking to secure teachers for their, for their own kids. Um, but what the color is suggesting is much more generous than that of thinking about um, supporting other school boards. It is, you know, we do see parents fundraising for their own schools all the time and school boards do try to distribute that funding to other schools that might need it more than others. Um, And it is a, you know, I think it's a great idea. And I also think that public education is really the responsibility of the government to provide for us as citizens. So while I, I think it's wonderful that there's, there is public support for public education um, we really have to be aware of citizens of our rights. And our right is that all of our kids should have access to quality public education. And we really shouldn't be, as citizens, having to fundraise ourselves for these institutions. Let's get back to the logistics for just a minute. At the TDSB meeting last night, three possible options were presented by staff to the trustees to uh, create more space in the classrooms, uh, which and, and in every option there, it includes using the money from the reserve funds. So basically, in a nutshell, option one would see the board use $6 million of the Ministry of Education and $3 million of funding repurposed from the TDSB's budget to add an additional 86 teachers. Options two and three consider dipping into either $29.5 million or $59 million in reserve funding to add even more teachers, 280 or 560, respectively. Do you have an opinion on these options, Eloise? You know, I, I, I was looking at the options, and really, I think the school boards themselves that, that know what's best for them, and as the TDSB, that, you know, the TDSB is the fourth largest school board in all of North America, um, so their needs 
are really specific to, to you know the, the just the huge amount of student population that they're serving. Um, I think you know without knowing the details of the three options, I think whatever is you know on paper a lot of things sound good, but is it is it feasible to get let's say 500 teachers train like you don't have to train the teachers because they're already qualified, but you know get them up and running in those individual schools in time, even with the staggered school start. I think that would be my question, um, both as a, you know, as an education researcher and as a parent as well. Uh, it just, it seems like a, like a huge logistical feat to make that happen. Right. And, um, and then there's the whole element of whether the substitute teachers, some of them older, yeah. having had their careers, do they want to go into a school and mm-hmm. teach during a pandemic? Yeah, and I think, you know, with substitute teachers, with the occasional teachers, they're also, we know that their work is also taking them to many different buildings um, within one week. So it kind of, you know, you might be solving one problem, so you're getting more teachers in, but is it, then are you creating a new problem? Um, so it seems like, it, like with every solution, there's always another risk that we need to mitigate, and we have to figure out how to plan for that. It is really wonderful to hear the city of Toronto reaching out and saying, identifying all those public spaces uh, within the city of Toronto's purview and the Toronto Public Library that are they're offering to the school boards um, for space because space is really it's not just teachers; it's also space. If we get extra teachers, we need to figure out where we're going to put those classrooms. So, seeing the city of Toronto being such a wonderful partner. Um, in this pandemic to the school boards is, is really is really the kind of thing that we want to be seeing more of. Yes, the city staff have identified dozens of spare rooms in municipal facilities that could be used by public schools this fall, as well as nine library branches. So I'll ask Alexander Brown about that, the chair of the TDSB, when he comes on, whether they're going to take the city up on that very generous offer, as you mentioned. Let's get back to the phones here. Ron in Guelph, you're on Zoomer Radio. Uh yeah, Jane, thanks for taking my call. Um, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, and Libby had never even thought of it uh, when I mentioned I was a school bus driver and how that's going to impact it. Yeah. And she said, yeah, very good point. And, of course, um, Andrea Horwath, I don't know where she got the school bus from somewhere, made a huge, great big speech about school buses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, there's a couple of problems. Uh, you might be able to find extra classrooms um, as, as you just pointed out, you might be able to find some extra teachers, but there has been a, an always a problem trying to get enough bus drivers. Uh-huh. You could probably find buses, but right now there's already in most places a shortage of drivers. Where do you get enough drivers to be able to have only 12, 13, 14 kids on a bus? Well, and, and Eloise, that's another one of those logistical problems that you were speaking about. Yeah, and I think what Ron's bringing up is an excellent point, especially for rural communities. So when we, you know, I, my son is in the TDSB, um, but when we think about the system, we have to think about public, we need to think about school boards all across the public province. And those rural communities that really, really rely on um, buses to get their kids into the classroom. And, you know, we need to start thinking creatively. So maybe it's not just, as Ron talks about getting more school dri- school bus drivers, but do we get the kids starting at different times? <laughs> the, you know, the same amount of school bus they're doing sort of like pickups 
background or I, I don't know what it is, but this is the type of, we need to think creatively about these problems because as you said, there's so many logistical considerations and it's not always more money and more people that are going to solve the problem. Ron, what's uh, your plan uh, when school um, goes well, back? As a matter of fact, I just got a note. Now, I am just hearing about this delay for two weeks. Is this strictly in Toronto or Peel or Mississauga? Where are they delaying the uh, school start? Well, it's all of the boards have been offered by the education minister an opportunity to delay up to two weeks the start of school if they are still trying to come up with a safer plan. Well, I think that's what I said. I haven't read the email from my boss, but I know there's um, there. Part of the problem is, is that, um, as I said, it comes down to not enough drivers. There's never been enough drivers. I mean, I can go back. I mean, it, uh, 10 years uh, since I retired from coach driving. Uh, boy, I'll tell you, when they found out I had a B license as a retired coach driver, they had me driving a route the next day. You know, <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. Well, good Good luck. Stay safe uh, well, the next thing month. I, I want to make a quick point. Is, yes. See, a lot of these things that are coming up are related to urban school boards if you go into Sudbury or some of these other places they don't have the same problems with the COVID-19 that we do because they've never had major outbreaks so they feel a lot safer in some of those other um, remote school boards than what they do um, in Peel and Mississauga no, that's, and major, the major urban boards. That's so. an excellent point. And, and I'll put, thanks for calling, Ron. Eloise, I'll put that to you. There are some school boards in the province when uh, where children will go back on September 8th. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think what we can take from that is really it's, it's at the school board's discretion what their reopening plan will look like. And we know from our public health officials that that most of this, all of this relies on, you know, what are the infection rates in your communities that you're serving? Um, But I think even in those school boards where infection rates are low, they're still taking precautions um, because, you know, as the province opens up, people are traveling. There's, there's, you know, you, you never, you never the public health officials, they're not even really sure what's going to happen when winter comes um, with, with COVID-19. So, but it is it is good to know that there are school boards out there that will be opening up on September 8th and that their infection rates are low. And maybe there's things that we can learn from those school boards as well um, as, to, as to how they're reopening. Let's go back to the phones. It's Jane for Libby here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. Also on the line with me is Eloise Tan with People for Education. Sharon in Scarborough, what would you, what do you have to say about the coming school year? Hi, Sharon. Go ahead. Oh, hi. Sorry, I didn't hear you say my name. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. No problem. Um, well, I'm a grandmother, going to be 64, immunocompromised, and raising two boys, 7 and 10. So that's grade 2 and grade 5. And uh, so I'd already made my mind up, you know, that I there's no way they're going back because I'm their primary caregiver. Both their parents have are deceased and something happens to me I don't know what would happen to them so it's you know it's pretty crucial right right mm-hmm. so what is your plan at the moment uh to stay home to stay home yeah, yeah and and sure. how how do you feel i mean you must have done some of it back in the spring how do you feel about teaching yeah that was a fail that was a really mm-hmm. i mean with 
the grade four, he was pretty good, but the grade one, like, so that's going to be challenging. And I had a couple ideas, you know, like just listening to what you're saying about teachers and um, hiring more teachers. I'm wondering if they can just hire some teachers just to do the online, the remote learning and have separate teachers for in-class. And then we just connect with that remote teacher. Mm-hmm. What, what, Eloise, is that a concept uh, that is being considered? Yes, definitely. I know I reached out to my own principal and he did confirm to me that this is something that they are, that they are exploring, um, so that there would be a dedicated remote learning teacher. Um, so I think it's something that I don't know what school board you're, the, the caller's calling in relation to, but I know that at CBSB that is something that they're considering. Um, and I completely relate to what she's saying about, you know, the younger students really struggling with remote learning. Um, so I just, you know, you're doing great. It's very hard for the younger students. It's totally a different mindset for them. And a lot of them, they don't even have like the fine motor skills to navigate a computer. Um, so remote learning it has its own challenges for every single grade. I have uh, a few questions uh, for our TDSP spokesperson who's going to come on after the break, Ryan Bird. Uh, Alexander Brown, unfortunately, could not be with us, but Ryan will have all the details and the answers to some of the questions that have been asked this half hour. Eloise, uh, do you have any final thoughts before we say so long? I think that, you know, parents and grandparents, caregivers, let's say, we're all trying to do the best for our kids, for our students. And I think, you know, it's unfortunate that we're in the situation, um, but hopefully our school boards can use the extra time to come up with some really innovative solution that can keep our kids learning and safe. We are spending a good chunk of this hour talking about back to school during COVID-19 and how there's been a bit of a reprieve. The education minister has allowed school boards across the province to take an additional two weeks, if they wish, if they need the time to put a safer plan in place during COVID-19. We're going to the Toronto District School Board now and spokesperson Ryan Bird. Hi, Ryan. Jane, it's nice to speak with you. It's nice to speak with you. You and I work together in another life. Uh, are you absolutely we- all is well? Everything is well. Uh, obviously, like uh, a lot of people in education right now, uh, just very busy trying to prepare for the new school year. Now, when you and others at the TDSB received the news uh, from Stephen Lecce about having more time, what were the thoughts? Well, ideally, we'd love to be able to start uh, on the first day of school, although uh, it seems each day and each meeting we go through, it's looking more and more like we will need that extra time. The ministers now said we have up to two weeks to stagger or delay uh, the start of the school year, and it is looking more and more like that will be the case. We don't have that 100% confirmed quite yet, but obviously the second we do, we want to get that out to parents so that they can plan accordingly. So it could be as long as September 22nd. Original date was September 8th. This is high schools and elementary schools. Why the high yes. school? Why the high schools? It seems like the high school plan was, um, in, in essence, had a lot more spacing between students um, f- physically when they go to school. So admittedly, that is less of an issue. So that's something that we're going to look at is before we make the final decision, um, it, 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 like, Maybe there's a possibility that we could somehow start them a little bit earlier, but really the the elementary grades are what is going to need the most time and most work over the upcoming weeks, just given the recent changes and announcements made by the Ministry of Education and the fact that we're still going to be approving those final elementary models 
uh, anticipated tomorrow at a budget committee. So we do absolutely need some more time on the elementary side, and we'll see how that impacts the secondary side. But uh, as I said, I, I think September 8th uh, is looking optimistic. Uh, obviously, we're still going to try to do everything we can to try to get everything up and running in time, but we'll have to wait and see how many students will, in fact, be returning to school uh, and the elementary model that's confirmed tomorrow. Because if, for example, we have, uh, you know, if you have smaller class sizes, that means more classes and more classes needs more space. So if we need more space and have to potentially look at outside, uh, you know, off-property locations like community centers or libraries, that kind of thing, uh, we'll need time to plan, set those up in that kind of, uh, that area of, of planning. So we're going to need some extra time. It's just a matter of how much. Will you be taking the City of Toronto up on that offer to use some of their spaces? I think so. I think we'll have to look exactly, again, once we get the information back on how many students will be returning and exactly how many classes we will need, uh, we can kind of really narrow it down to how many of those sites we'll need. But it is looking increasingly likely that we will have to use at least some of those, depending on the model that's confirmed tomorrow by trustees. Right. Now, there were three options outlined last night, all of which use money from reserves and all of which include additional teachers. Wouldn't the best case scenario be to bring in the most number of teachers? It is, but obviously that comes with the most amount of money. So this is the difficulty that trustees will face as they talk about this, uh, because right now we have reserve funding, but it's not a, a rainy day fund, as some have described it. It's not millions of dollars just sitting there not attached to anything. It's already attached to future obligations, many of which are really employee benefits. You know, it's one of the city's largest employers of close to 40,000 people. You can imagine employee benefits Uh, cost millions of dollars. And by having this as part of our reserve fund, we can make sure that that's fully funded in the years ahead. Once we start messing with that, uh, we really do have to be careful exactly how much money we pull out of those reserves to make sure that we're not only helping right now, we do understand that, look, these are extreme circumstances. We, We have to do things differently, but at the same time, not leave ourselves high and dry down the road. Uh, by essentially borrowing now and hoping that we can repay uh, it later. Ryan, we have some, we've had some questions in the first half of the show about some of the logistics around going back to school. Uh, mm-hmm. One of our callers asked about after school care associated with the schools. What will that look like? So that is being confirmed with our third-party operators right now because many of our before and after school programs are not run by the TDSB. They're offered by third-party operators. So it really depends on the each individual operator to determine exactly what they're doing. But obviously, we're going to be working with them to make sure that we can support them in any way to get up and running uh, and have that space, obviously, to uh, welcome kids before and after school. But it's going to probably look different depending on the operator you're uh, using as far as numbers available, space available, and that kind of thing. Lunchrooms. Uh, in the past, we had a lunchroom supervisor call in to say that children before the pandemic are very close together in the lunchrooms, all sitting together. Obviously, as our society has changed dramatically since those days. What will that look like in the schools? So in all elements of the school day, we're trying to you know, reduce that rotation and movement around the school. So we would uh, ideally have students eating lunch in their classrooms as opposed to a more communal lunchroom. 
again, just given the, the number of people in there and then the different cohorts of students then mixing, uh, we, we'd like to try to keep them as, as separated as possible uh, throughout the day. Let's get back to the phones. You're listening to Zoomer Radio. Jane for Libby, 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-744-740. What is the new school like panning out uh, in your home, whether you're a parent, a grandparent, or you're helping out as a grandparent and watching your children navigate working uh, as well as looking after their kids full-time? What are the plans, and what are you hoping to see uh, if, in fact, there is a two-week reprieve uh, at the beginning of the school year. 416-360-0740-1866-740-4740. Let's go to Gail in Toronto. Gail, thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Yes, prior to the pandemic, I've heard teachers talk about some of the students who have emotional problems where they have meltdowns or they attack the teachers. Is there some protection for the teachers after the pandemic? Ryan, can I put that to you? Yeah, there there would be, like there is pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, there would still be those supports in place for teachers. Obviously, there's training involved for how teachers can de-escalate situations and that kind of thing. So what happened pre-pandemic would exist uh, during the pandemic as well. And John in Hamilton, uh, this is our last question before we change topics here on Fight Back. So go ahead. Uh, yes, I was just uh, wondering whether they could maybe start uh, with, uh, like, elementary schools. They could start, uh, bring back, say, grades 5, 6, 7, and 8, and then leave the other ones home. I know that could be a problem with parents. Uh, and just see how that works out and, and do it for, like, two weeks and just to see whether there's uh, much transmission or picking up and then monitor monitor it. It's just a, an idea. No, it is where. It is a good idea. Ryan, are you considering ideas like that, that? And so the Ministry of Education has made clear that all students are going back, um, you know, in general this September. Having said that, what we talked about off the top is that whole idea of staggering that will be permitted in the first couple of weeks. So we'll have to see exactly what will work best at the TDSB, but there is a possibility that we could stagger and have a few grades start uh, you know, one day, a few grades start, a next day. So that's something that we're being considering, uh, that we're considering right now. And for the 25% of parents uh, who say they will keep their kids home, even if class sizes are smaller, what can you offer them in terms of what virtual learning will look like? So it, at the TDSB, that would equal roughly, well, over 60,000 students, if those numbers hold, uh, which is larger than most school boards in Ontario, if not across the country. So it is it's no small number. So our virtual school, though, would be just that, a virtual school. It would not look like the remote learning that you saw last year, which was more trying to do our very best under very difficult circumstances using your, uh, your homeschool teachers and that kind of thing. Under virtual school, uh, this time around, you would be obviously taught the full curriculum, roughly the same timetable uh, during the day, so learning like live online learning in the morning, live online learning in the afternoon. Um, and it would be taught by more central, uh, it was a central program. So you wouldn't have your regular classroom teacher, just given the fact that uh, they're already teaching uh, students in the school. Um, but just given the sheer number of people involved, it would be a central initiative, but everyone would, it would be much different. 
Well, that's reassuring. I think a, a lot of parents and, and even some teachers aren't really aware of that. So that is good news. Uh, before I let you go, Ryan, any final thoughts for parents? You know, I, we know and we've heard loud and clear that parents want information now. Quite frankly, they needed it days, if not weeks ago. And we do recognize that. Um, later ourselves and the, the changes have come more recently, but we are working as hard as humanly possible night and day to try to get this information locked down and then get it out to parents because we know they not only have an important decision to make, they just want to know what's going on come this September. So if that's my message, uh, I, we just really want to reassure people that we are trying to get this info to them as soon as possible and I just really appreciate their patience. Ryan, nice to talk to you again. Appreciate the opportunity. Nice talking with you, Jane. TDSB spokesperson Ryan Bird. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.